cold, a non-COVID cold. They do still exist, and it knocked me flat. So you're going to hear some of the residual effects of that cold and the rattling of my lungs, but I trust that... uh, trust that we'll be able to finish Jude here today. So if you have a Bible, we're going to turn once more and for the final time to that very little book with a very big message at the end of the New Testament, right before the last book of Revelation, is tucked this little book, Jude. Now if you've been here with us the prior four Sundays when we've talked about Jude, we've heard a lot from Jude that would categorize the under a big banner of warning. Jude is a little bit like a warning on a medicine bottle. If you read the warnings on medicine bottles, you'll see that there are all kinds of frightful warnings. Take this with food or you might die. Take too much and you might die. Even if you take it the right way, you could get dizzy and die. If you take it with your left hand, you might lose touch with all reality and die. Maybe even if you take it, your symptoms could disappear because you're dead. Those kinds of warning labels we read on medicine bottles, and we wonder, is the cure better? Is the cure worse than the disease? Now, Jude knows that the Christian life, and all of us who have been a Christian know that the Christian life is full of all kinds of troubles and trials. And we as Christians need to be warned to stay close to Jesus. We know that There is an evil one who prowls about looking to devour our souls. And we remember the warnings that Jude gave us. Remember the warnings. If you weren't here, I'll give you some of them. Jude told us not to be like the faithless Israelites who were destroyed. He told us not to be like the fallen angels or we will die. He said, avoid the pattern of of life that the immoral, immoral citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah had, or you will die. He says, don't follow the way of the false teachers, or you will die. Don't go the way of Cain, or Balaam, or Korah, or you will die. Don't be an enemy of the Lord, or you will die. You see, it's possible here at the end of Jude, even understandable, maybe even expected, to walk away from Jude a little shaken, a little unsure, a little wondering, man, is there, are there more enemies out there that are coming for me? Am I in trouble? Am I in more trouble than I think? Jude wants to leave us not more aware of the threats that face us, but the God who is on our side. Are the threats real? Yes. Are they overhyped? Absolutely not. But, Are the threats to our soul greater than the God of our souls? And the answer is no. We serve a God who is far greater than any threat that we could face. Our God, and here's the message from verses 24 and 25, if I were to summarize it in one brief sentence, it's this. Our God is greater than our threats. The threats are real, and they're not to be minimized. The threats are out there. And they prowl about, but those threats, those threats are not greater than our God. And Jude wants to leave us on a high note and put steel in our backbone so that we can face the threats that we face that are very real, but have a confidence that our God is greater. And so that's the goal this morning, to remember 
that though the threats are real, our God is greater. I'm going to read, beginning in verse 24, just two verses, verse 24 and 25. And I read this morning from the English Standard Version. Verse 24 says, Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, Lord, for these people that I love more than any. Lord, I pray that you would allow me to be faithful, allow me to just be able to preach your word here despite my sickness this week, despite my rattling lungs, Lord, despite my frailties. Lord, I just pray you would, you would capture our attention. Lord, we live in a world full of uncertainty. We live in a world full of trials and hardships. We live in a world full of things that we just would never expect that come at us on a daily basis. There are threats. There are perils. There are troubles. And Lord, I pray that the effect of this sermon would be that we would be much more aware, not of the threats that are out there, but of the God that preserves us despite those threats. I pray, Lord, that if there are any here who are not in you, who do not know you, that they would put their faith in you through your Son so that they might have the confidence we as Christians have. For those here who are Christians but yet not confident, I pray you would put steel in their backbone as they look to you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our God, Jude says, our God is greater than our threats. And we see this in three movements. We see that he keeps, we see he presents, and we see who he is. We see that he keeps, we see that he presents, and we see who he is. See, all of us know, first, he keeps. All of us know that the Christian life is difficult. We're opposed by a devil who prowls about on the hunt for prey. We're opposed by ourselves even, because we know that our disposition at times is to wander. We know that we fall short. We're opposed by hardships and the trials of life. We're opposed by a hostile world that is opposed to Jesus. And in all the midst of that hostility and all that opposition, it's possible to think, what hope is there for us? We're just small and fledgling. We don't amount to much. We're not very strong. We're not very capable. We don't have that much going for us. We might not be the smartest people in the room. Not the strongest. How can we hope to stand when we're opposed by such enemies? That's the natural question when you're aware, more aware of the threats that are out there than of the God who preserves us through and despite threats. Verse 24, Jude firmly takes our attention away from those threats and puts our attention on the Lord. Look at verse 24. Now to him, now to him who is able, or him who has power 
to keep you from stumbling. For just a moment, Jude, as he closes, he takes, he says, look away from those threats that are real. Look away from those threats that are troubling. Look away from those threats and recognize that there is one who is able to keep you from stumbling. And here, stumbling doesn't just mean falling down and not being able to get up again. Stumbling means falling away into grievous sin or error that keeps you from God and ends up bringing to you eternal death. He promises that he will never let those who are his stumble and fall away into oblivion. He will keep us, what the text says, he will keep us from stumbling. This is comforting. This is, this is comforting. This is helpful because you might be thinking, well, a couple weeks ago we heard in verse 21 that we're called to keep ourselves in the love of God. We're commanded by Jude to keep ourselves aware of the love of God, the love God has for us. We need to work hard to remember because as we are aware of God's love for us, we will stay close to the Lord and we will be able to keep ourselves from those threats. And you might be thinking, well, which is it? Do we keep ourselves in the love of God or is he able to keep us from stumbling? It might seem like a contradiction. Yes, we must stay close to the Lord, but only the Lord can preserve us and keep us from falling away, ultimately. He is the one who promises that we will not stumble and fall into irretrievable apostasy. The Lord promises to keep us from falling away. The Lord promises to keep us from falling away. We cannot alone keep ourselves. He is the one who must keep us from stumbling. Our God is greater than our threats, than the threats that we face. He's able to keep us. He's also able to present us. Look at, look at the second, well, we'll read it, look at verse 24 again. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, not only that, but he does something else. He keeps us, he protects us, he watches over us so that we don't stumble and fall and fall away from him, but he also presents us what? Blameless. <coughs> blamelessness is not a word that I associate with myself. I don't know about you, but I am not blameless. I am blameworthy. I know me. I know the inner workings of my heart. I know my thoughts. I know my intentions. I know my fears. I know those things inside me that nobody else knows, and I know that I am not blameless. And I'm not the only one. And yet, I read here, in verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. Blameless. How is that even possible? Blameless is a biblical word used in the Old Testament to describe animals that were appropriate to give as a sacrifice for sins. Under the old sacrificial system, an animal had to be spotless or blameless or without flaw. It would be tempting for a shepherd to bring those malformed, three-legged, one-eyed, mangy-looking lambs to, to say, you know what, I'm going to offer this one up for my sacrifice. But the Lord required those that were the best. The Lord required the lambs who were the most prized, the ones who could fetch the best price, who had the finest wool the most healthy, the ones without fault and blameless. And Jude is saying here that one day he is going to present us all 
blameless. Not just blameless, but notice where. This isn't in comparison to other people. This isn't as if he's saying he's going to present you blameless in comparison to other people around you. He says he's going to present you blameless in the presence of his glory. That's a roundabout way of saying in the presence of God. Now that is surprising, unexpected, and it doesn't seem to jibe with reality, at least not for me. How is that possible? How is that possible? Well, it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus approaching the shore of the Jordan River to be baptized, he proclaimed to all who were standing around in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The writer to the Hebrews says it this way, when he compares animal sacrifices to the sacrifice of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serving the living God? Jesus was that sacrifice without blemish. He was the blameless one, and yet he died. See, here's the miracle of the good news. His spotless record, his blameless life, was reckoned to guilty sinners. And this is why Jesus, and following him, is so amazing. In dying, Jesus took upon himself all of my blameworthy actions, all of my blameworthy thoughts and intentions. He took upon himself all the blame that was due to me and was punished. He was presented as blameworthy. If there was ever one to be presented as blameless, it was him. He was the lamb without spot or wrinkle. He was the one who, was co- who had come to take away the sins of the earth without blame. And yet, he was destroyed. But in this dying, he died and rose and ascended and is returning so that he might be able to present us, though we are blameworthy, to present us as blameless in the presence of God. That is the logic, friends, of the gospel. The gospel is just this. God, through his Son, offers not just forgiveness, offers forgiveness and righteousness and the promise that one day you will be presented blameless before the glory of God. Because of Jesus Christ, God does not. No, God cannot hold your sins against you. Why? Because he has already held them against Jesus Christ. The only reason that we can be reckoned as blameless is because he already blamed Jesus. See, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, Christians are not necessarily better people than everyone else. It's not as if we don't sin. We do. 
We just have a Savior. We put our faith in Him instead of trying to go our own way and be our own kings or queens. We've asked the Lord to forgive us and to reckon to Jesus all the blame we deserve and said, please forgive us. And He does. He does freely. If you're here, you can follow him as well. See, these promises that we're reading, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the presence of his glory with great joy, these promises are for anybody who believes in Jesus Christ that first they're sinners who need help, who need help beyond what they can muster up in their own selves. But what they need is, is help that only God can give. And God has given help in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ and in his dying and rising and ascending and one day returning, he has now opened a way so that sinners who are, who are, who are fall, full of faults, so that sinners like you and me can be counted blameless because of the work of Jesus Christ. And any who are willing to confess their sin, willing to repent, any he will receive. It's a remarkable <laughs> to read this in Jude, to know that one day we will be presented blameless before the presence of His glory. If you read the Old Testament, if you read the whole Bible, when people find themselves in the presence of God, when people find the pre- themselves in the presence of His glory, they are not rendered blameless. Never are they rendered blameless. Read Zechariah 3. How about Isaiah 6? In Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah finds himself in the throne room. In that place, one day we will be presented. We will be presented, we find in Jude, we will be presented as those who are blameless before the presence of his glory. But when the prophet came, and when the prophet stood in that place, he said of himself, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. He calls upon himself, woe. Jude says, we, when we find ourselves in the presence of God, will not cry out, woe is me. We will not be aware of all the ways that we've fallen short. We will be aware of the one who has taken our place. Jesus Christ, so that we can be presented before God and before the presence of His glory as blameless. The woe that we deserve to call down upon ourselves and for God to pour out upon ourselves, that woe has been poured out upon Jesus. Woe was Jesus on the cross as He represented a people of unclean lips and hearts and lives. And this presentation, this presentation is not some kind of formal rote experience. Look again at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Great joy. This is not some cold, somber event where long-faced people do what they're contractually obligated to do. It's not as if God's going to say, listen, I know 
you're wicked sinners, and I have to go ahead and forgive you because it's the deal we made. It's not what he does. It's not what he does. No. When we are brought to the presence of God, and we are put in his presence, and we stand there by the power of Jesus Christ, and we are presented before God and in his presence blameless, what we will find is that it will be the best party we've ever been to. It will be raucous and rambunctious. It will be joy like we never experienced. We will have great joy. God will have great joy. Christ will have great joy. And we will be rejoicing with each other. We will be rejoicing with all the saints for all time. We will be rejoicing with all the angels and with all of creation and with everything that ever has breath. We will rejoice. And God will rejoice over us. Let me tell you something about that that's true something that we're not always aware of. Christian, if you're in Christ, he rejoices over you now. Christians can often think that God is sort of, has this low-level anger toward them, or that, you know, he probably loves other people more than you, or that, you know what, when he thinks of you, he doesn't smile. He kind of frowns. Or he puts up with you. But friends, that's not true. That is not true. If you are in Christ, if you are united to Jesus Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection, then when he considers you, he smiles. He rejoices even now. You see, here in verse 24, when we are presented before God in His glory, that will not be the first time that we ever, that God rejoices over us, but it will be the first time that we see it and experience it and rejoice with Him in such a way that our minds are blown. There will be nothing like standing in the presence of God utterly blameless when we know, man, I am blameworthy. I have done so many things wrong. I have done, I have made a mess of things. But because I stand not in my own goodness, or I stand here not based on my own righteousness, I stand here based in Jesus Christ, I know that I will be counted blameless. And God will rejoice over me along with all of creation. That day can't get here soon enough. See the picture. Not only does he personally, does he personally say, I will make sure that I keep you from stumbling, but he personally presents you before the glory of his presence, blameless. Blameless. You know, in verse 24, when it says present you, it could be rendered stand you up. So we have this picture of Jesus Christ promising not only that we won't stumble, but that we will stand. And where will we stand? Not just in this life, we will, but where will we stand? One day, as Christians, because we're in Christ, one day we will stand in the presence of his 
of, of his glory. We will stand in his presence and we will be presented blameless because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. You see, our God, why? Why is that possible? Why is that real? Why is that something that we can take confidence in? Because our God is greater than the threats that we face. Our God is greater than any threat we face. What threat do you face today? What threat do you find is dominating the landscape of your life? Your God, if you follow Jesus, your God is greater than that threat. And Jude wants to remind us that one day, this God, this God will will welcome you if you're a Christian. He will keep you from falling in this life. He will keep you from stumbling. And one day, he will present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We've seen that he keeps. We've seen that he presents. And now we see who he is. In verse 25. Now, Jude takes our attention in verse 25. And instead of thinking about what God does for us in Christ, he turns our attention away from ourselves and puts our our attention forcefully on God. And look at verse 25. To the only God, our Savior. Now, we may not be used to thinking about God being our Savior, but eight times in the New Testament, we see this phrase, we see our Savior being attached to God, And it makes sense because God is the one who has planned salvation and has sent his son to live and die and rise again so that we might be able to have hope eternal. God is our savior. He is our rescuer. He is our deliverer. One of the wrong ideas that can get around about God the Father is that he is angry all the time and that he's got this simmering wrath and he's got lightning bolts in his hand ready to throw them down at people and he's a tyrant of some kind of epic proportions with a smoldering uncontrollable anger. He's eager to destroy. But then along comes Jesus who's kind and gentle and meek and mild and he says, I will step in the way and absorb your anger so that they can be acceptable. But that's not the case. That's not the case. God loves the world. That's what John says. John says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. God loved the world so much, what did he do? He gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God, our Father, has given us Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loves us. Not to make us lovable, but because he already loves us. And so we can call God, and we should call God our Savior. He is God, the only God, our only Savior. Now, how do we access God, our Savior? How do we have hope in this God? Well, Jude tells us again, it's only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. The only way that we know God as who he is is because of Jesus. We would not know God apart from Jesus Christ. We do know God because of Jesus Christ. And so this God, who is our Savior, through Jesus Christ, who is he? Well, he's the one who has glory, majesty, dominion, and authority— When? Before all time, 
and now, and forever. Amen. So for those of you scoring at home, God has glory, majesty, dominion, and authority all the time. And he always has had that. In saying these words, when we say these words and we pray these prayers, we're not giving God something he doesn't have, like he doesn't have glory, majesty, dominion, or authority. But what we're doing is we're recognizing and putting in our mouth something that he already has. We're just recognizing the reality of things. This is who our God is. He's the glorious one. He's the majestic one. He has all dominion and authority. And he has from before time was ever began. He has it now, and he will have it for all time. Amen. Glory is the honor that is ascribed to him. The honor that's ascribed to him for all of the works in the world, but especially in redemption. He's majestic, meaning that he is great beyond all reckoning. Great and powerful beyond all imagination. He has the eternal right to rule over all things. Nobody gave him that right. Nobody said, let me coronate you. He is the one who, is, who has the intrinsic rule. He's the, intrinsic, he's the one intrinsically called to rule over all things. There is no rival to his throne or his authority. He also has dominion, meaning that he is in control of all things. He is the absolute, unquestioned, sovereign over all things. There is no corner of, of the universe that he does not control and direct. There is no place for him yet to conquer. He has conquered all. He has all authority. There is no usurper who could possibly lead a coup, enter his throne room, and take over his government. No, the government rests upon his shoulders. He has all authority, and he will exercise that authority for his purposes and for our good. Do you see what this doxology does? It reminds us that our God is greater than our threats. See, no threat that faces you is authoritative when compared to God. God has all authority. No threat is so big that it can, can get dominion. No, God, if you're a Christian, God has, God has declared you to be forgiven and righteous. And he's in control of all things. No threat is bigger than him. Your God is greater than all the threats that you face. All of them. And this is the way it has been Always, and it's the way it is today, and it the way, it's the way that it will always be. So as we end Jude, may we remember, ladies and gentlemen, that our threat, threats to our souls are real and numerous. That it is possible for us just to lose our way or forget what matters but that our God is greater than all of those threats. This doxology that we looked at today doesn't just point to that distant day where we will be counted blameless and presented blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. It also promises that he's watching over us even now. He is able to keep us from stumbling. He is able to keep us from stumbling. He's watching over you. 
He's keeping you from falling away. There are many different threats to our souls. But there is one God who can deliver us from them all. What are you aware of? Past sin? He is able to keep you from stumbling. Your God is greater than your past sin. What do you, what do you have, a current failure? Well, he is able to keep you from stumbling over that failure because your God, our God, is greater than that current failure. Are you aware of maybe a disappointment in your life? He is able to preserve you and keep you from stumbling over that disappointment. It would cause you to wander away because your God is greater than these threats. Are you afraid or hopeless or weak or just tired? What threat is before you? Jude calls us to look away from those threats, look away from those challenges, look away from those things, and look instead to our God who is greater than all of those threats. This God who is able to take you and me and any who put faith in him and is able to take us with by the hand and keep us from stumbling and present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Our God is that God, and our God can do that, and our God will do that. Any who put faith in Jesus, any who have put faith in him, he promises he will do just that. So, if you are afraid, look to him. If you are a sinner, look to him. If you're aware of all the ways that you've fallen short, look to your God, because your God is stronger than your fear. Your God is stronger than your sin. Your God is stronger than anything you face, and he is able to keep you from stumbling, and one day he will present you blameless before the, before the glorious presence with great joy, because he is the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he, he deserves all glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and forevermore. Amen. Our God, friends, is greater than all of our threats. We can read the warning, we can read the warning label of Jude, but may we not walk away more aware of the warning than we are of our God. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would help us in this moment, Lord. For those here who are faithful Christians and are afraid of falling away or maybe more aware of the ways in which they've fallen short or the sins that they've committed or the burdens that they carry, Lord, I pray that you would help them, Lord, to recognize that you're a God who can keep us from stumbling. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to just exercise faith in you, knowing that you are able to keep us in ways that we can't keep ourselves. I pray if there are any here who are not followers of you, Lord, that this picture of you who superintend and protect and keep and guard until that last day. That picture, Lord, that picture would be a picture that's compelling. That picture would be a picture that is something that is, is attractive. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help those here who think or who have tried to protect themselves and they recognize they can't. They've gone their own way. 
and they're aware that they're falling and sliding. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to put faith and trust in you, to confess that they're sinners, ask for help, to repent and turn from their past and trust in you. Lord, for all of us, we look forward to that day that we will be presented blameless. Lord, our feelings tell us that we're not blameless, that we're blameworthy. But Jesus speaks a better word than our feelings, a stronger word, a more mighty word, a lasting word. Jesus, keep us, Lord. Keep us close to you and keep us in you. Keep us from stumbling. And it's in your mighty name that we have faith and that we trust. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.